0: A reading from Isaiah. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Lord, says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this? from your hand trample my courts no more bringing offerings is futile incense is an abomination to me new moon and sabbath and calling of convocation I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
1: A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understood that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith, without having received the promises, but with a distance, from a distance, they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. That is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, He has prepared a city for them. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
2: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Today's readings seem to me perfectly appropriate for all of us who might feel at this point a little bit buried in the news and the press and the lies and conspiracy theories and everything else that seems wrong and dark with the world around us. All of today's readings seem to speak from and to the edge, the margins. Today's readings are written and rooted in traditions that have always experienced the edges and the margins. Our spiritual ancestors, the ancient Israelites, and even our Jewish brothers and sisters today know what it means to be on the edge of things. Ancient Israel was always a place for empires to walk through, if not over, if not on. It was the gateway between the great empires of old, whether it was Egypt to the south, or the Babylonians and the Assyrians to the north, or later the Romans to the west. And so our faith has its foundations, And it's scriptures written by people who live on the margins and who are always at risk of dissolution, of losing everything. Our spiritual ancestors who are Christian also had that same experience. Today's letter written to the Hebrews was written by a strange little body of people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, written to a much larger tradition, a much deeper and older tradition, that was quite skeptical of this new odd thing springing up in our midst. And by the end of the first century, of course, there was a deep rift between those early Christian communities and their brothers and sisters of Judaism of the period, so that in that break, they experienced margin, experienced marginalization and what it meant to be sort of tying things together on what we might call a shoestring budget of holding communities together with very little in the way of resources, let alone wider community support. Those of us who are Christians at this time in world history also recognize that we have moved into an era, or are moving, but probably have moved into an era where we're more like those Christians of old. Sort of on the edge of things, not at the center of things. We fooled ourselves for such a long time into believing that we could be the center of civilization. But of course that meant we had to craft these unholy alliances with power and prestige and militarism and empire. And of course, that created an environment that we are still picking up the pieces from. It was a brew that was often toxic to our faith, often toxic to the world. So today's readings are written for us, you might say, like the small group of us gathered this day here in Mill Valley, where Christianity is really a minority religion, if you think about it. And we Anglicans are even a minority of that minority. We are a small group. We might say in our better moments, we're small, but mighty. But truth be told, even in this place of church of our Savior, our faith has always been a shoestring exercise. An exercise, indeed, of faith of holding it together and keeping faith, even when we are not sure what tomorrow will bring. We are reminded this day that we are always in faith. The author to the letter of the Hebrews digs very deep back to the foundations of the Jewish tradition and brings up the witness of Abraham. Abraham who was probably living pretty comfortably in his homeland at quite an esteemed age, here's the call of God to leave all of that behind and set out for an unknown country. If that's not difficult enough, he has no children, which for an ancient people meant there was no future for him. It is as if to say, as the letter says, That he was as good as dead. And yet he sets out. He sets out. And becomes the patriarch of the great tradition. And by now, of three great traditions. In Isaiah, we hear a prophet with, yes, his hair is on fire. In case you didn't notice he's writing fiercely in a period when the Assyrians have come down and trampled all over the northern kingdom Israel and turned Judah into a vassal state. So there is a way in which you can hear the Judeans muttering into their beards at Isaiah: "Thanks, guy, for kicking us while we're down." But on the other hand, Isaiah is pointing out to them it's not good enough for you just to sort of keep the traditions going and keep the worship rituals going. You have to be a people that are fundamentally different from everyone around you. And that difference will not be marked by your ritual as much as how you care for the least the orphans, the widows, the strangers, the people who are more marginalized than you are. When you reach out to them, then you will be leading faithful lives, lives worthy of God's notice and attention, and perhaps that mercy that we always knew was there and is especially important when you are on the edge, when you are no longer in power, when you are searching for life's meaning. Luke puts together Jesus' teachings for a small Christian community towards the end of the first century that has that same experience of being on the edge. And what's lovely about Luke is that Luke, of all the gospel authors, is able to bring these words of comfort into words that are of discomfort, and weave them together in a way that I find actually quite brilliant, this sense in which he opens by referring to the little flock. The little flock. It's, us. it's the little flock. And saying to us, it is God's good favor for you. It is God's wish, God's heartfelt desire that you receive the kingdom. Come again, Jesus? The kingdom. Kingdoms are supposed to be all about. Power and authority and influence, right? No. Jesus reminds us. Jesus reminds us the kingdom of God is about something totally different from the ways of power. But then, of course, he weaves in that warning, which we remember at the beginning of Advent every year. You know these words, right? Be ready, be alert. Keep your lamps lit. The son of man is coming. To paraphrase like a thief in the night. Jesus is coming. Look busy. right? Remember that old saw? Mom's coming. Look busy. Well, we have that in our tradition. Jesus is coming. Look busy. But actually, be busy. Being thankful. Being ready to serve being open-hearted and open-handed, even in a time like ours, filled with clenched fists, we are called to be different. We are called to be faithful. That means more than showing up clearly on a Sunday morning. It means being out there and being at work with the gospel of The gospel of serving others, the gospel of love. Ours has always been a project on the edge, a project that could slip over the edge at any time. It may feel that way sometimes. But that's where God is at work. And if we let God at work Through us. That is what we ask for every time we come forward and receive the broken bread and the common cup. Save us from the presumption, our Eucharistic prayer at this time says, from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for renewal. Save us from the presumption of thinking that our worship is enough, when in fact a truly worshipful life is filled with service to others, and it's done at the margins, because it's at the margins where God is making the world